0: Hi there, and welcome back to The Debrief. My name is Heath Monsma, and this is an exclusive episode with President Bylock. Taylor Haber, a Debrief producer and news managing editor at the Dartmouth, sat down with the president to discuss her goals for her first fall at Dartmouth and beyond. In this episode, you'll hear his interview and then a brief discussion between the two of us about what we gleaned from it. Without further ado, I'll let Taylor take it away.
1: Sion Bylock is an award-winning cognitive scientist whose research has explored the effects of stress on education. She served as president of Barnard College from 2017 to 2023. On June 12th, Bylock succeeded Phil Hanlon, becoming Dartmouth's 19th president and the first woman to hold the office. President Bylock, welcome to the debrief.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You've been president of the college for a little more than 10 weeks at this point. How have your first impressions of the Dartmouth community influenced your goals for the coming year?
2: Well, it's been really great to be at Dartmouth over the summer. I started the day of reunions. Um, I got to hear from the classes of 63 and 68 and then many more recent classes and um, spend a lot of time with the sophomores who are on campus for sophomore summer and It's just been great to be in listening mode, to learn about the college, the community, the culture. I think that's how you get to know an institution is by asking lots of questions. Um, And I have really been on a listening tour.
1: Has it impacted how you're going to pursue your presidency in in your first year?
2: Definitely. All the input I'm getting is shaping how um, I think we should think about Dartmouth, where it's been in the past and where it's going in the future. Uh, One thing that has really become clear is that Dartmouth is this very unique ecosystem. It's four years, but then you have this amazing alumni connection for life.
1: I wanna touch on the topic of mental health briefly. In 2021, in an effort to streamline its wellness resources, Dartmouth partnered with the Jed Foundation, a nonprofit aimed at combating the mental health crisis in teens and young adults. The Jed Foundation's review of Dartmouth outlined a number of areas where the college could improve, some of which have been implemented. What specific areas is Dartmouth looking at to bolster its mental health resources?
2: Yeah, I think it's important to step back and understand what the Jed Foundation is and what it does. The Jed Foundation is a national nonprofit organization that's really designed to help colleges and universities across the country think about health and wellness for young people. And so partnering with the Jed Foundation is just a first step in coming up with a strategic plan or a plan for what will happen at Dartmouth. What Jed does is provide uh, surveys and others that are nationally normed that happen across the country. They then provide this huge checklist of things that all colleges and universities should be paying attention to and then from that the goal of the institution is take to take that and put a plan together. We are right now um, in, I believe we're starting year three of, of the JED work. And you'll see in the fall that we're gonna roll out a strategic plan around student mental health and wellness. One thing that the JED Foundation and, and the work so far has really underscored though that this is not just a student issue we have to have a healthy ecosystem of faculty, students, and staff, and it's one of the reasons that I've already announced that we're going to have a chief health and wellness officer who sits on my senior team who is thinking about health and wellness for students, faculty, and staff across the campus.
1: With regards to what the Jed Foundation does on the, you know, a specific university-by-university basis, it does provide institutions like Dartmouth with certain outlines as to how they can better achieve their mental health goals with... Dartmouth, there was talk of stemming social life for students, specifically undergraduates, outside and beyond Greek life. There's been talk of expanding the Sexual Violence Prevention Project, which is currently only two years out of its intended four-year gap. There's been talk of expanding the non-recorded option for students and how they experience an academic term and how that, you know, reflects uh, their mental health. Is there any specific goals that you can give us in terms of how Dartmouth is looking forward?
2: Yeah. um, You know, so again, the Jed Foundation gives all sorts of outlines and strategies and the goal of the institution then is to take that and push it forward, which is what this plan is that we're going to be rolling out in the fall. Um, Initial things that we did were, um, for example, adding You Will is another way to get counseling. You Will Um, being a
1: tele a teletherapy.
2: Um, We've worked really hard to make sure that there aren't long waits if you are in crisis and need to get into the to see someone at um, Dick's house or in the counseling center. Uh, And we're going to have a number of other um, areas that we're going to roll out in the fall. We've been thinking about what this means as a plan together. And I think the key is that it's not just in the classroom, it's outside the classroom. So it goes from everything to making sure we have social space where everyone feels like they belong, making sure that um, faculty and staff are trained as first responders and are thinking about student mental health, thinking about our time away from medical leave policies and how we ensure that even if students are away, that they're connected to campus, all of these we're gonna be talking more about in the
1: fall. Okay, well stay tuned for that. Yes. Let's move on to Greek life, which we briefly touched on there, but here's a more specific question. 60% of undergraduates are affiliated, speaking anecdotally, I've heard from a number of students who have said they're most eager to hear your stance on fraternities and sororities. What are your thoughts on Greek life as an institution and on the prospect of reform?
2: Yeah. Um, so I had the opportunity to meet with Greek leaders a few weeks ago, which was really great, just to have an open and honest conversation. I think Greek life is an important part of the community at Dartmouth. There's no doubt about it, with 60% being part of it. That doesn't mean, but it means that we have to make sure that the college and the students are working to keep it as safe as um, as. As possible and that involves for example all new and potential members now taking um, uh, part in the sexual violence and prevention programs it involves thinking about um, how grief life can be most inclusive and that also involves thinking about what it means to be part of Greek life when I met with the leaders one of the things that I was really struck by is a, a young woman talked about the fact that Greek life is one of her many identities. She's captain of the dance team, she does other things, and this idea of multiple identities is something that I talk about in my research. Um, And so I think we have to stop talking about Greek life versus not Greek life and start talking about how we're building ecosystems of community, Greek life can be one. House systems could be another. All of the activities, athletics, that students take part in I feel like be I, more.
1: I do have to push back on that. Yes, house communities are one aspect, but I think most undergraduates would think that Greek life occupies its own unique space that something like a housing community or a sports team or an improv group doesn't necessarily infringe on. It's predominant and it offers things that those other communities
2: can't. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to students who have all different sorts of perspectives and there's no doubt that Greek life plays a central part in this, but I think it's the either or, that it's your Greek life or not, is not the way to think about it. And so for students who don't want to be part of Greek life or who are looking for other opportunities, I think the onus is on the institution to help build those up. House communities are pretty new, they, I know, serve an important role for many students, for others they're, they're not working, so how do we think about that? Um, and I think these are all important questions. I think what happens, though, we get, when we get into this, it's Greek life versus non, I think that's not the right question. I mm. think the right question is how do we build the kinds of inclusive communities across campus
1: that students can be involved in? You touched briefly on the you know, prospect of expanding sexual violence prevention in terms of Greek spaces, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention news that recently broke about alumnus Kyle Clampett of the class of 2020 who was indicted recently on charges of raping a woman last April? Is the college investigating Theta Delta Chi fraternity at this time?
2: So um, we've, you know, have have talked about this. There is an investigation ongoing. Um, this person wasn't alone at the time of of the alleged incident. I will say that there is no place for sexual violence on our campus no place and um, we're doing work with the greek system and more in general to make sure that we're
1: pushing that forward i want to move on to what i imagine most students know you best for at this point in your tenure which was your response to the supreme court's ruling in students for fair admissions versus harvard on june 29th the day the supreme court struck down affirmative action You wrote a letter to the Dartmouth community affirming the college's commitment to diversity. Beyond messages of support, what can you share about any steps the administration is taking with regards to diversity?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because everyone knew that the Supreme Court decision was coming for for many months and um, we were working to think about what our position would be and how we'd move forward and um, likely knowing that the Supreme Court was gonna come out Um, striking down affirmative action so we as we responded quickly we've been thinking long and hard about where we're going here
1: what is the college's position in regards to the decision
2: so as I said in my letter and I was very clear that people can have different views about whether this was the right or wrong um, thing to do and the goal of an institution is to create an opportunity to talk about those views but what I also underscored in the letter are key principles that I think are important to Dartmouth and to higher education in general and that's that a diversity of thought and lived experience leads to better outcomes I actually linked to research about that it's something that I've looked at in my work and that is unwavering and so um, the question is how do we work as an institution to make sure we have that diversity of thought and experience on the campus Uh, part of that is financial aid making sure that we can Uh, support our students, and we've done that by being need-blind and meaningful need not just for domestic students but international. And part of that is also finding different ways to think about a student's experiences. So we actually have two new admissions questions this year Mm -hmm. um, asking students to talk about their lived experience and all of the um, experiences they've had growing up uh, that contribute to why they might be a great fit in the Dartmouth community.
1: That sounds similar to what the majority opinion in the Supreme Court's decision wrote, which was that you can't consider race specifically, but you can consider how race may have affected someone in their experiences. Is that kind of the, the general idea of what's behind that?
2: I think the idea, again, is to get the most information about a student and understand that students are more than one thing, they're more than their race, they're more than what sport they play, they're more than their grades, and again, it's getting at these multiple identities. Um, To be very clear, we have no intention of breaking the law and our goal is to abide by the decision, but I also um, believe that making sure that we have different kinds of people with different beliefs and views on campus and that they can push against each other. I want Mm -hmm. this to be a place where people can push push against each other is really important. Mm
1: -hmm. Let's shift focus to a study that has been grabbing a lot of attention in the admissions field. In July, researchers from Opportunity Insights published a study which detailed inequity in college admissions The study found that children of the wealthy are disproportionately admitted to elite schools, including Dartmouth, when compared to equally qualified students from poorer families. Does Dartmouth conduct what some in the media have labeled affirmative action for the wealthy?
2: So Dartmouth does a holistic application process. We're looking for students from a variety of backgrounds. We do consider, um, as one part of a student's application, their connection to the institution.
1: So is that, a, is that a yes or a, a no?
2: It is that we look at many different factors and um, legacy. Having a parent who has been an undergraduate alum at the institution is considered, along with many different factors, in thinking about um, who will make up our class.
1: How much of a role should that play in determining who gets in?
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. People can have very different views about this, and it's hard, right? I mean, we're talking a lot about it. You know, I think that, again, as I've said before, the goal is to create the kind of diverse student body with different experiences and insights um, that allows people to push against each other, allows us to think in different ways. And there's lots of ways to do that, but thinking about one's adversity growing up to one's connections to the institution and the historical relationship at time are both aspects of that mind.
1: What role does legacy play, I guess, in terms of a student who arrives here on campus? And just for listeners, statistics from the admissions department report that 10% of the class of 2026 was legacy.
2: Again, it has... Students who have that connection bring something powerful in terms of their history and knowledge. Students who don't have that connection also bring very powerful things. And the idea is that we're bringing different people to the table. One thing that um, I think is also important to note about legacy at Dartmouth for the class of 2027 is that 30% of our legacies are students of color.
1: Hmm. Finally, is, is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't covered in terms of where you see your presidency going?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's early days, right, just two months in. What I can say is that I'm even more convinced than ever that Dartmouth is a really special place. The students, the community, this bond for life, and I think we have an opportunity and really we have um, a responsibility to create the kind of leaders that will go out and have a positive impact on the world and to create the kind of knowledge that's going to make our nation and this world
1: a better place. President Bylock, thank you for your time. Perfect.
0: How did you prepare for your interview with President Bylock? What were some of the key issues you wanted to focus on?
1: President Bylock has said a number of things in the press unrelated to the Dartmouth about how she plans to move forward as president of the college and what she sees as her goals, but there haven't been a lot of specifics in terms of what she concretely wants to do during her tenure. So I wanted to ask important questions in terms of what I think students most want to hear. Questions that if you were sitting at a table with your friends at KALIS, questions that would be important to student life. I think that includes mental health. I think that includes the future of Greek life. I think it's questions that are central to the student experience here.
0: Definitely. So how do you feel like uh, you succeeded in that? How do you feel about the tone of the interview more generally? Do you feel like she provided sort of detailed and candid responses, adding a little bit of specificity, or uh, do you kind of feel like you ran into some roadblocks? in a- I,
1: I think there were definitely moments where President Bylock knew what she wanted to say and wasn't going to expand further. Clearly she has something she wants to unroll or unveil rather during the fall term as it relates to student health and and mental health and mental well-being. And I don't think she wants to say that prematurely. Um, But in other areas, I felt that she was more candid than I would have expected. I thought her responses on legacy admissions and the admissions process more broadly were more candid than I thought she might get. I've interviewed President Hanlon, in the past. And I think the tone of the interview here was a lot more conversational and a lot more upfront about policy proposals.
0: Yeah. Um, so for the legacy admissions specifically, uh, I thought that was potentially one of the most interesting parts of the interview. Yeah. Uh, me, it sounded like when Bailock, uh first kind of brought it up as an answer to your question of whether Dartmouth does uh, affirmative action for the wealthy. And she said, well, we have legacy admissions. And then it was sort of
1: Exactly. That, you followed that as well. Yeah, it was a little right.
0: uh, sort of in, indirect yes there. Yes. Uh, so with that perspective, do you think that um, our legacy admissions are here to stay still or will we see some reform from her in the coming year?
1: I think from the tone of that part of the interview, I think we can all tell that this is something that isn't really going to change. I think it's a tough conversation that people want to have and are going to have, especially in light of the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action. But I hope that we will see word from the administration or we will hear word from the administration about some sort of policy change. I imagine we will.
0: Cool, great. Um, And so then you also mentioned that you guys discussed the um, new Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action um, about excluding race-based questions in, um, in the college application uh she said in response to that that they were coming with two new admissions questions um for the class of 2028 was it was it the the next class uh yeah
1: 2028 so that this coming admission cycle i yeah. thought what was particularly interesting there was also the emphasis on the increased role people in the admissions space on campus are, are seemingly having in a bylock administration um dean of admissions lee coffin has been promoted to vice president of the college, as well as his role in admissions, which I think speaks to on some level, Bylock's forward-looking mentality when it comes to how to craft the future classes that are coming into Dartmouth. I think admissions is changing, obviously, as decisions have, have shown in recent months. And I think that promoting Lee Coffin is a sign that creating diverse Cohorts of students in whatever way that means uh, is a top of mind issue.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to push back a little bit though on your question or your statement that uh, the admissions is changing because to me, when I was listening to the interview, and she said, um, kind of in direct response to uh, Supreme Court decision, she said, "We're not breaking the law here." Right? Oh no, no, absolutely not. Uh, A little bit of a wiggle.
1: What I more meant there was that, no, obviously no one's breaking the law and everyone's going to follow the recent Supreme Court decision in students versus fair admissions versus Harvard. I think that what President Bylock meant by that is what diversity means can mean diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, diversity of background as it legally relates to the admissions process. But I I didn't mean to say that they're they're trying to circumvent the the will of the court i just more meant i think they're looking into it and i think they're taking a proactive stance on the changing landscape of admissions
0: so then another thing that i think is very relevant to the students at dartmouth and one of the questions that you know um was biggest in everyone's minds was the greek life question yeah um, say that before you ask it um <laughs> And her her response was that uh, you know, Greek life shouldn't be thought about in binary terms as affiliated or unaffiliated, uh, and instead one of multiple identities, which, you know, I think is a great sort of utopian thing. But you know, you gave some pushback on that, uh, in that Greek life isn't the same as joining a club. Um, can you elaborate more on what you meant by that?
1: Sure. I think Greek life is the most hot button issue when it comes to administration. Most students are affiliated, more more are than aren't. And I think that when a new president comes in, most students then gravitate towards the question of how is this going to affect my social life? How is this going to affect Greek life? And to me, I would not expect drastic change from a Bylock administration. I think that There was a July, mid-July meeting President Bylock had with Greek life leaders, many of whom came away with positive reactions to questions that Greek life leaders had. I think that her response to how do we make Greek life more safe is extremely proactive. I think that she wants to increase sexual violence prevention, which of course is a top of mind issue. And she also wants to ensure, though I don't know how effective this is going to be, that other spaces are available. And like you noted, yes, I don't know if housing communities or whatever other spaces President Bylock envisions on campus as sort of taking a Greek life adjacent role would be possible or would would thrive on campus. I don't, I don't know if that's possible, but It's certainly something she wants to look into. I don't really have a lot of hope for whatever that would be. That's what I came away with. But I don't expect the fundamental Greek life experience to change all that much in the first couple of years of a Bylock administration.
0: So then uh, a little bit more generally, what did you personally find most interesting or thought-provoking about this interview? Um, Did it provide any unique insights that you hadn't thought about before, or was it more or less what you expected?
1: I think it's more what I expected. I didn't walk away with anything particularly changed about my opinions on President Bylock. I think she's the right candidate for the job and an excellent candidate for the job.
0: No, I mean, at at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a political office to be the president. It is.
1: It is. I liked the conversation I had with President Bylock. But at the end of the day, it is a conversation. I think the actions over the next year and couple of years... Uh, Will say a lot more about President Bylock's intentions and hopes for the college than any one conversation I have.
0: There are a few people we want to thank in the making of this podcast. Thank you to President Bylock and the Dean News staff for allowing this collaboration to happen. And thank you to our team from the summer Abby Hughes, Taylor Haber, Natalie Van, Amita Mirharimi, and our executive editor and editor in chief of the day, Kristen Chapman.